2: It's a numbers game
4: with your host, Gil Alexander. Those idiots who believe in analytics. Good morning and welcome into a numbers game here on this Memorial Day. Still no Gil Alexander; he is off for this week as well. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel. I was with you for the last five days on this wonderful program. I'm with you for the next five days on this great and wonderful program. Good show today. Paul Sporer is going to be with us in about five minutes from now as we go around the world in Major League Baseball. Andy McNeil, bottom of this hour as well. Theseons NHL analytics analyst as we discuss everything in the National Hockey League as we are off into the second. For the most part, to have a pretty important game coming up later today. Mike Palm. The Eason's host of the Nuts, VP of Ops over at Circa, the D, Golden Gate, you know the places. He's going to be with us for the first half hour of the second hour, and then Matt Humans wraps it all up, puts a bow on it, our senior editor here at the Vegas Stats and Information Network. But we begin a little bit in my wheelhouse. It's a fun weekend of the NBA. We had a good day on Sunday. A lot of storylines, a lot of storylines from yesterday. And if we can get to the Los Angeles teams, we'll get to them separately throughout the show. But we have to start with something that... I think it's pretty interesting here. The Atlanta Hawks, the Atlanta Hawks take care of business when they go back home here against the New York Knicks. A 113 to 96 victory for Atlanta. They cover that 5-point spread falls right on the closing total of 209 depending on where you shopped and they take a 3-1 series lead. Now, this is important because again, I think this is a really solid lesson in terms of reading between the lines, right? Especially after you saw the first few games between these two teams. And one of the things that we discussed on this show, one of the things I was kind of adamant about was Hey, look, if you read between the lines with what happened in the first two games in New York, you can kind of spin this forward and look at this for Atlanta and think – you know, I think you have a little bit more confidence in Atlanta as they go forward, right? Had a decent shooting game in game one. Game two, missing a lot of wide-open looks. The Knicks offensively relying on some inefficient ways of scoring, right? Julius Randle not performing very well, uh, well. Derrick Rose averaging 40 minutes a game and being their main valve offensively. And it looked like going into Atlanta that the Hawks were poised to at least widen the gap between these two clubs. And sure enough, they take both of them. But the story to me, has been about this Knicks perimeter defense and again it, it always helps to read and look into these numbers throughout the regular season and define what we're looking for because the Knicks have always been this weird team in the regular season right I have mentioned the stat ad nauseum one more time to give it to you though the fact that the Knicks despite the fact that they had the best overall three-point defense in terms of opponent shooting percentage they gave up the 23rd most or yeah 23rd most uh, looks or uh, just attempts just three-point attempts in the regular season the third most wide open looks in the regular season and yet we're paying for it right first and overall shooting percentage from beyond the arc for opponents first in terms of opponent shooting percentage on those wide open looks well the hawks are making them pay for that in this series right especially if you look at their wins the hawks shot a combined 47.7 percent on 65 attempts in games three and four in atlanta and their three wins in this series the hawks have shot 43.4 percent from beyond the arc and the issue of wide open looks that the New York Knicks have allowed continues into the postseason. Third most wide open looks allowed from beyond the arc for the New York Knicks in the postseason at this point right now. The key difference, though, and something that we, I wrote about on the website, brought up in terms of analyzing the series, and that was really important to realize for the New York Knicks, was that in the regular season, they did not pay for those wide open looks. Well, the Hawks are making them pay for it. They are giving up next to the third most wide open looks from beyond the arc in this series in the postseason, and yet the Hawks are shooting 44.6% on those looks as opposed to the 34% that opponents were shooting in the regular season. So all of this leads to the fact that they are now down 3 1, heading back to Madison Square Garden with a massive, massive wall to climb. And. I think, too, it's very much worth noting that outside of this, right, in terms of the defensive inefficiencies that the New York Knicks have quietly had, right, despite having one of the better efficiencies in terms of the actual mark throughout the regular season, is the fact that their offense, right, 24th in terms of overall efficiency in the regular season, and that was with Julius Randle having a most improved player of the year type of season has completely fallen off here in the postseason. Knicks averaging just 104.5 points per 100 possessions. Their shooting has dipped to just 33.3% on 29.3 attempts per game. Randle has not been anywhere close to being found, right, in terms of 16.8 points per game, 26.9% from the floor, 35% from deep, and R.J. Barrett has not been very good either, and you're relying on guys of the past. Derek Rose, Taj Gibson, it just hasn't really worked out for the Knicks. So we'll see. It's a very good environment, a very good home court for them. Take one and then bring this back to Atlanta where the Hawks can wrap it up. It also doesn't help, though, that defensively you have no answer for Trey Young. And Trey Young has been downright phenomenal in this series. This is from ESPN Stats and Info. Trey Young has led the Hawks outright in points and assists in all four career playoff games so far this postseason. Young is the second player in NBA history to lead his team outright in points and assists in each of his first four career playoff games. That's via Elias Sports. The other is Hall of Famer. Dave Bing, who achieved that feat in his first four playoff games in March 1968 for the Pistons. I remember that fondly. I remember watching that as a young man and thinking, "Man, this is going to be something." It's a numbers game here on VSN, the Sports Betting Network, vison.com, the Vison app, Fubo Sling Game Plus, iHeartRadio, and of course. Man, I feel so honored to do this. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel, filling in for Gil Alexander on this Memorial Day. All right, we'll roll on. We're going to get back to NBA at some point. We have to discuss what's happening with Brooklyn at Boston and everything that's happened with the Lakers. We have some numbers to look forward to if Anthony Davis doesn't play and maybe some in-game opportunities in that Suns and Lakers game. Uh, but let's welcome in Paul Sporer, who's nice enough to give us some time yet again uh, as we talk a lot about Major League Baseball, writer, podcaster, streamer, twitch.com slash Sporer as well. Uh, always appreciate the time, Paul, uh, very much so. So there's a lot to go over here, and I'm actually kind of excited because today is a day where we get a really good series getting started between New York and Tampa Bay. Uh, The Rays just continue to rip off wins left and right now, 15 of 16. Uh, They have averaged, I think, over these last 16 games about 7.2 runs per game. Like, what's been the difference here for the Rays? Like, what has happened lately? Because they have been absolutely incredible.
5: Uh, thanks for having me on this morning, Jonathan. I appreciate it. You know, really, the big thing has been the the offense clicking quite a bit, and a lot of that is just kind of uh, regression to the mean for some of their guys. Others popping off. I mean, Mike Zanino has been having a great season. We were talking about how uh, Yasmani Grandal is hitting like sub. 150 and still has been above an above average player Zanino isn't quite doing that but he's only hitting 222 and yet he's still maintaining a 155 ops plus because of the power that he's displaying with 12 homers he and austin meadows have led this team joey wendell's having a bit of a breakout with power um has six home runs already a rosa rain has been very solid so the offense has really started to pull their weight in addition to the pitching, having been there pretty much all year, uh, you know, with the normal rays stuff, a lot of different pitchers mixing in doing different things. And then, of course, the development of glass. Now he is a full on ace. He's got a third pitch now he's been a monster so really it's everybody pulling in the right direction but the big difference from earlier in the year is the offense kicking into another gear for the uh
4: for the rays so i don't think the rays are a bad offensive team but did, can they sustain this pace in terms of their offense I, I would think that this is relatively tough given what we've seen from them. nothing again not that they're a bad team but 15 to 16 seven runs a game you know at some point this cools down right
5: yeah certainly it'll cool down from from this level nobody yeah. maintains this level but I think they can maintain a, a plus offense, too, because uh, they can still have Vidal Bruhan and Wander Franco come up from the minors. Both of them could be high impact. Everyone knows Franco, but don't sleep on Bruhan, who's been amazing at the minor league level. The only reason Taylor Walls got the call first is he's also been great, by the way. But um, he's a great glove. And so they, they favored the glove there between those three and readiness. So Walls got the first call. But, I mean, Brandon Lau hasn't even come close to getting going yet so there's good uh same with Manny Margot. so there's some guys that as you know maybe the Wendell's and Zunino's of the world regress some of their other guys are going to bounce up and kind of offset that so I think even as the offense slows down from this astronomical pace they're still going to be very good the rest of the way.
4: Yeah, and these are two teams kind of heading in opposite directions, right? The New York Yankees just get swept by the Tigers. They get outscored 15 to 5. And we see that defense, Paul, yet again, kind of pop up here for the New York Yankees. Like, that's, that's the difference between, like, two teams in a series like this, right? At times, this defense, I think, has some pretty bad lulls for the New York Yankees, and we saw it again over the weekend against the Tigers. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a series you can't drop in a
5: sweep. Yep. Uh, the Tigers are definitely not very good. And so getting swept at the hands uh, of them is, is bad. It feels really bad for, for the Yankees. A lot of things haven't gone well for them. You know, they're using a lot of pieces that they didn't expect to be in there necessarily. So I think that plays a role in the defense struggling. Um you know, it's, it's one of those things right now where there's not a whole lot that's actionable unless they want to start making some personnel moves because you're not going to bench some of these guys that are struggling. You're already using the backups because of the injuries. So something's got to give. And you usually in that in New York, that means moves. And so we can see maybe some some cuts or some uh uh demotions you know i, I could see a cut of like rudeno door he's got a few homers but that's not really working out clint frazier maybe getting sent down actually i don't know if he still has any options to be honest okay he does still have one so i think we're going to see some shakeup moves in new york soon especially if they have another bad series here against their chief rival uh, in the division this year, at least. I know the Red Sox have been great too, but the Rays over the last couple of years have emerged a little bit more than uh, than the Red Sox.
4: So I, we are going to get to today too with this specific game because Jameson Tyon is, I think, a very intriguing pitcher. But let me ask you, we just threw up the division standings. The Yankees winning this division, is that the, still the most likely outcome in, in your mind as we spin forward? If we were to simulate this a thousand times to the Yankees, the most likely division winner still in your mind? I don't think so, no. Mm-hmm.
5: I, I still think the Rays are a more complete team. Um, and I, I, I still am pretty skeptical of this Red Sox club, so I'd still have the Yankees over the Red Sox. But I'm not, I'm not uh, giving up on this Toronto team either. If Manoa is real, gives them a another viable pitcher. Ray can hold up to a degree. I don't expect Ray to be like a stud, but if he can be kind of like a low four ZRA or better, then you got Ryu, Manoa, and <clears throat> excuse me, and Ray at the front of that rotation that starts to be a little bit better too. The Yankees, I don't think this is just a blip right now. I think there are things that they have to fix. I don't think natural regression is going to get them there. So, no, I think the Rays are more likely to win. And maybe even uh, Jay's Red Sox are, are right there with the Yankees at this point. So let's
4: talk about Jamison Tyon then today because it looks like he's going to be out there here uh, for the New York Yankees. And if you look at a lot of these numbers and metrics around Tyon, there's some room for some some regression to mean positively for him, right? He's not pitching as bad as his numbers indicate. Yeah, absolutely. And the biggest thing that you can look at is the home run rate. And, you
5: know, it it plays kind of perfectly like the game that we have today. We talk about how it's a three true outcome game, strikeouts, uh, walks, and homers. Well, he doesn't allow walks, but he has a ton of strikeouts, but also a ton of homers. So you see the good underlying metrics with like a, a 351 Sierra, that skills independent ERA that measures just how his skills are doing. But then you look at a 1.9 homer per nine, that's huge. And that's why he has a 506 ERA. So if he brings the home runs down in line with his career mark, which is one on the dot, and he was sub one each of his last three seasons, 17, 18, and 19, then I think Tyon will smooth out and be more of that mid threes guy. I actually believe in him quite a bit with the skills that we've seen from him. I just think he needs to keep the ball in the park a little bit more and figure something out there. I don't know if it's one specific pitch that's having trouble with the home run ball, but until he does that, I don't think he's gonna catch up to this Sierra, but if he does start to rein the ball in, um, that I think we could see a mid-threes type of guy.
4: Yeah, I mean, You see the market today at least move a little bit in the direction of the New York Yankees. This opened up a pick. Majority of shops, Yankees right now at home. Here at the South Point, at least minus 117, favored over the Rays, who again have won 15 of 16 games, also 3-0 and this season against the New York Yankees. All right, so let's stay in the division really quickly because there's a couple of guys, but I did watch your, uh, your video. Uh, you brought it up a little bit. Alec Manoa, what'd you think of him? I thought it was insanely impressive what we saw from him. Uh, I, I really liked it. And I think you have to feel pretty good about this kid moving forward and in some spots too if he's a little undervalued, if the market hasn't caught up with like how much potential there really is with him. I totally agree. I
5: understand, <clears throat> excuse me.
4: I understand a measure of
5: caution with a rookie, but boy, did he really look the part in that debut in New York after a weather delay. You never know how a weather delay is going to affect somebody to kind of have to reamp up. The following day especially for your major league debut he obviously showed no ill signs from uh, being rained out the day before he looked excellent deep arsenal really worked over that yankees lineup which is not at peak but i don't care uh, someone making their debut coming into yankee stadium and dominating like that is impressive no matter how you slice it i think there's a lot here the comp that i had based more on his look was lance lynn that's what immediately jumped out to me and then you throw in the fact that uh, if you kind of one of my friends was mentioning, if you trade out, like, the cutter that Lance Lynn had for the slider that Manoa has, that comp really starts to play even more. Big body guy who can eat up a bunch of innings. Maybe he starts off as, like, a mid to high threes type of guy for a while. Maybe that potential to develop into an ace down the line the way Lynn did, too. It took a while. I think we could see something similar with Manoa. But that first debut, I mean, that that debut was really, really sharp. And I think he, I think they've got
4: something here in Toronto. So last week when we had you on, let's keep it the, the vibe of young pitchers, right? We talked about James Caprelli, and we had just seen him uh, start. He had just shut down the Mariners. Now we get to see him again, but we get to talk about him pre them. The market's moved against him, and you and I kind of alluded to this when we talked about it, right? But walk some people through this because, well, he has been really solid. Some of the underlying numbers do show you that there is some stuff that he's got to work on, and maybe there is something coming for him a little bit. The question is, is it today? Opened up a $1.35 favorite, $1. thirty against the Mariners, so he gets to face again uh, now about $1.24 depending on where you look.
5: That seems like a pretty fair price, though, to be honest. Mm -hmm. you know, Obviously, he's not going to maintain a 153 ERA that we've seen through these first 17 and two-thirds, but there's some good underlying skills here that I'm kind of believing in with Caprillian. I think we talked about how he's a former first-round pick, former legit prospect, who's now 27, kind of down the line a bit, because injuries have derailed him regularly. Uh, When he was with New York, they traded him out to Oakland. Even with Oakland, he was stopped by injury. He's finally healthy and looking really sharp. The A's may really have something here um, with a late bloomer in Caprillion. Again, I'm not seeing a sub-2 ERA or even a sub-3 ERA necessarily. But I think like a mid-threes, the rest of the way with a decent whip, a lot of strikeouts, I think Caprillion, if he can stay healthy, is going to give the A's another go-to arm. And all of a sudden, they're putting together one of the standard A's rotations that looks really good. And I think they're gearing up for a big fight this year. Uh, with, with the Astros in that division. They're not going anywhere. That A's team is really sharp.
4: Yeah, those who are watching the broadcast, uh, odds via BetMGM that you're seeing right there, the Athletics on top, the game and a half lead over the Houston Astros, uh, just slightly below the Astros in terms of the odds minus 105. Astros, odds on favorite at minus 120, and then we don't talk about my Angels because we don't talk about disappointment and sadness on the show. All right, uh, let's so talk sad. about it. <laughs> I, I, I Don't get me started because we'll talk about it forever. Uh, all right, let's go through a couple of other things. First off, I was reading this really interesting piece of was put up over the weekend on ESPN by David Schoenfield. And, uh, look, the Rockies get a win yesterday. Offense looks relatively solid against the Pittsburgh Pirates. But he, the article was essentially that the Rockies, one of the worst offensive teams in modern baseball history, especially on the road. Like, how bad is this getting for the Rockies? Again, it's kind of weird to have this conversation coming off a win which she looked, you know, average, I guess, offensively. Sure. But how, how bad is this lineup, especially when they hit the road away from Coors? Yeah, it's awful. And then you you throw in the Coors effect and
5: then you take out Trevor Story, who's on the IL, Mm -hmm. and it really, 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 really suffers. And obviously, I think uh, the, the idea of the Coors hangover effect has become a lot more widespread. Folks are understanding that, yes, it inflates your home numbers. It's the best offensive environment the game's ever seen. But it drags you down on the road. It carries with you the effect of playing in Coors because the ball doesn't break as much. So then when you go on the road, Uh, normal breaking balls feel like they have more break like the the effect is that it takes you a while to adjust so if you're on like a a quick road trip like a six game or two series you might not even be adjusted until the fourth game of that of that run and then maybe if you run into two studs at the very end of it boom there goes the whole series and they never got going and they went one in five it's really bad I think the probably look to trade Trevor story. He's at the end of his deal. There may no sense to hang on to him. So once he gets healthy, he's got to go. Blackman obviously coming down uh, from his career peak. He does not look like anywhere near the Blackman that we know. They're having some decent fantasy performances from like Ryan Maltopi and Garrett Hampson, Ryan McMahon. It's not enough to counterbalance what this team looks like right now, especially on the road, like you say, because even those guys are struggling. It's dismal in Colorado. They need a Full scale, just like tear down and rebuild. I I think it is time to start entertaining trading Marquez and gray too. I know it's hard when they have even a shred of developed pitching to not want to give it up, but where they're at right now, from where they need to be to be good is so long that I think you trade anybody that isn't, uh, you know, over
4: age 24. Yep, and they just completed that road trip, New York, and then Pittsburgh. Uh, They got shut out, what, I think, three times in that road trip. They come back home for six, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how this offense fares against Miami. They got a three-set coming up next week, and uh, that is a pretty good pitching staff. Last time I looked uh, for Miami. (laughs) It's going to be crazy to watch that offense flail around. All right, a couple more pitchers I wanted to discuss with you. One of my favorite pitchers to watch, and mainly because it's always intriguing from a number standpoint too, Eduardo Rodriguez uh, I think is a really underrated guy. If you look at some of the other numbers, 506 ERA 330 on the expected fielding independent. Uh, what is the ceiling? What is the floor? What does he look like going forward here at Eduardo Rodriguez for the Boston Red Sox? who are taking on the Astros.
5: You know, he, Eduardo Rodriguez is a guy I've liked throughout his career, but I'm always expecting kind of another level to come. And it just hasn't really been there yet. And I, I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be. He's, he's 28 this year. And the two things that we've seen persistently have been not only a home run issue, not to the degree that we were just talking about with Tyone. He's been a consistent, to 1.2 type of guy but he's always allowing at least a homer per nine and then his hit rate is too high he's a little too hittable to kind of take that next step so he lives in that firm uh you know stud number three fringe number two type guy depending on what your team makeup is and what your classifications of pitchers are but he's never going to make that next jump probably without like a pitch arsenal change or like an added pitch, something that helps him limit hits more and cut those home runs. Uh, A quality pitcher for sure, I don't think he's a 506 ERA guy at all, but you look at those whips that he's run throughout his career, he's a 1-3 career whip, uh, that's gonna leave some volatility in your ERA because you're allowing so many base runners and that can mean that your first nine starts, you have a 506 ERA. His next nine, he might be more of a, uh, you know, low threes ERA, and he kind of ebbs and flows depending on how things are going. But the bottom line always seems to end up at the high threes, low fours, and I think that's where we'll find our way to
4: this year as well with Eduardo. Slight move toward Boston here again, open pick, now minus 113 on the road against the Houston Astros. All right, we have 60 seconds. I'll give you two pitchers. Which one um, performs a little bit better down the road here, Trevor Williams or Dylan Bundy? I'm going to stick with Bundy. I yep. think
5: there's still some underlying skills here that I like, and I'm I'm sorry to repeat a, a refrain here, but home runs are his issue big yep. time. They always have been. Um, last year he stifled them. He needs to get back to what was working there. I haven't investigated him this year on his 45 and two thirds with a 1-8 homer nine, but it's right back in line with what he was doing in Baltimore. So I want to look into that. In fact, I think I will write him up because I want to see if there's been a pitch mix change. He's using something differently or throwing it differently to have the home runs go back up. But the strikeouts and walks are still there. So it really is as simple, I think, for Bundy as limiting the home runs, whereas I just don't think Trevor Williams is quite as talented as Bundy.
4: Paul Spore at, uh, at Spore up on Twitter, twitch.tv slash as well. Paul, always going to talk to me. Thank you very much. Jonathan, thanks for having me on this morning. Take care. Yep, you got it. All right, a lot of baseball left to get to. We'll talk about some of the pitchers at length, too, with some of the statistics a little bit later in the show. Mike Palm's going to be with us top of the next hour. He's a baseball guy, also a hockey guy. Speaking of hockey, Andy McNeil, bottom of this hour. But when we come back, Lakers, it's funny, the two L.A. teams right over the weekend, we just head in opposite directions, but we got some numbers. If AD's going to play, they're not going to play, it's going to get pretty ugly in those non-LeBron minutes for the Lakers.
2: Offer valid on select AK systems through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write.
4: Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor.
2: And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist.
4: With basketball, hockey, and baseball games every week, it's time to get into BetMGM Sports Nevada premier sports betting app. BetMGM has all of your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted odds specials, and much more. Download the BetMGM app today and stop by any MGM casino on the strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport Whatever your betting style, you're going to love that MGM state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. You've got to be 21 or older physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem, 1-800-522-4700. Okay, so how things changed, huh? Everybody celebrating the Los Angeles Lakers. It's all over. They'll move on. Ha-ha, <laughs> Clippers. Well, both teams in a 2-2 series tie with their respective opponents. However, one team heads back now with home court and – uh A healthy roster and injury questions on the other side, while one goes now on the road with injury questions on their own team. So let's talk a little bit about the Los Angeles Lakers. And we'll get to the Clippers at some point, but the Lakers are a pretty fascinating study as we move forward because if Anthony Davis is not going to be ready to go for this next contest, then they might be in some trouble, but not off the bat. And I found this pretty interesting and want to talk about this because I think The way to attack this in terms of the Los Angeles Lakers from a betting perspective, if AD uh, is going to be out there or not, and remember, official designation day-to-day for Anthony Davis in that groin injury that he suffered in game four, didn't come back in the second half. So when you look at some of the numbers for this Lakers team without Anthony Davis, you remember a couple of them like two or three months ago, right right before the All-Star break, where AD goes down and the Lakers go through this little bit of a slump. I think they went like one and six, and there was the conversation around, hey, Anthony Davis might be the most important player. Really, that's not the case, right? If you look at the LeBron James numbers when he's on the court and Anthony Davis is off the court, the Lakers outscored their opponents by 7.1 points every 100 possessions. They have an offensive rating of 113.3, very solid. The defensive rating is great, 106.1. What I'm looking at here is, as we talk about the Los Angeles Lakers on the road in this next matchup against the Phoenix Suns, and uh, right now, by the way, vsun.com slash odds slash NBA. You can go up there and check out odds for every single NBA game up on the board. Phoenix is up to a four, four and a half point favorite. Four is mainly populate the board with a total of two, a eight and a half, right? And it's not so much looking at the Lakers and going, all right, let's play against them. I think there's a pretty solid in-game opportunity once these games start. If Anthony Davis doesn't play, because when you look at the Lakers without either guy on the floor, that's where it gets to be a nightmare, right? Los Angeles Lakers with Anthony Davis and LeBron James both off of the floor. So this is the type of team you'll get when LeBron takes you know his minutes off, sits on the bench for however short those are going to be. But those are prime opportunity for the Phoenix Suns to really start to spread out in terms of this deficit that they may be able to build up against them. But both AD and LeBron James off the floor, the Lakers go from a plus 7.1 with James on without Davis – to a negative 3.1 with neither on the floor, an offensive rating of just 106, and a defensive rating of 109.2. So while the defense is actually still solid, the offense is absolutely atrocious. Only shoots 34.4% from beyond the arc. It's just an absolute nightmare. And so while you look at this and you go, okay, Phoenix minus four, total of 208.5, you know, how am I going to attack this? Look, you have question marks about KCP. You got question marks about Anthony Davis. There's no reason unless you have information that others don't about this game to get involved pre-flop unless you have something that is, actually you know, information or bettable information that is going to give you an edge. To me, it's sitting back and waiting. And if we do know that Anthony Davis is not going to play, this number will, of course, get adjusted. I'm sure the Suns will close about like five, five and a half, somewhere in that range. But really it's about the in-game opportunity because those LeBron-led Lakers are actually not going to be that bad. Again, represented by that plus 7.1 net rating. Might not be that good but they're not going to be that terrible really the opportunity is going to be in game between these two clubs as you look at it and once lebron james leaves the floor something to look at in terms of an in-game opportunity when they play again in a day or two so that's what i'm going to be looking for and as far as the series is concerned look man like again when you talk about this chris paul well chris paul had a total of 20 points in the first two games right yesterday leads his team in terms of scoring and assists this has been A really interesting series because it's all about health. You see this ESPN stats and info Chris Paul, nine assists, no turnovers, and the Suns win over the Lakers. Sixth career playoff game with nine plus assists, no turnovers, passing Magic Johnson for most in NBA history since turnovers were first tracked in 1977 1978. He couldn't hit the broadside of a bar into the first three games, but the shoulder looks a little bit healthier now, and all of a sudden the Suns are in the driver's seat with this series. But I don't, I, this has not been a series that I felt comfortable with either way in terms of some of these games. I do have the Lakers after game one at even money to win this thing. But the fact that to, the health has played such a massive role here, no idea how anybody would feel comfortable before these games start. By the way, one more stat too. Chris Paul, LeBron James, both leading their team Sunday. Points and assists. First game in NBA history, two players age 35 or older led their team in points and assists. A win for the old guys, huh? Good for them. Good for them. you <laughs> I always like referring to these guys as old even though they're Uh, Pretty young in terms of the grand scheme of things. All right, we'll a little bit more on the NBA. Just a quick touch on what's going on between Brooklyn and Boston uh, because we have talked about the floor of this offense for the Nets. It is higher than most ceilings, and we've seen that play out over the last three games. and NBA playoffs are here, and our experts are covering every angle to find the betting edges. V-CIN hockey expert Andy McNeil tracking all the NHL action, and me, I'm Jonathan Montobel, has uh a Allegedly, all the Hoops insights. Yes, I do. v slash JVT if you want to find out the work. Game notes coming up later today. Our experts in the entire v team give you all the tools to make the most of every bet on the playoffs, including odds and analysis for every game on v And our daily members only best bet emails. Now is the time to cash into the playoffs. Sign up for your 10-day free trial at v slash subscribe. Uh, Speaking of Andy McNeil coming up in 10 minutes. He will be with us to discuss everything we saw over the weekend and what we will see later this evening in the National Hockey League. Let's quickly touch on one more game from yesterday. And this is just to show, like, uh, I've been pretty strong on the Brooklyn Nets in terms of what they are offensively, what their capabilities are. And I I always use the term the floor of their offense, right? The floor is so much higher uh, than everybody else's. And what we saw in Boston over those two games actually kind of shows what we're talking about here. First off, yesterday, uh, absolutely no answer for the big three in that win for the Brooklyn Nets. Harden, Irving, Durant combining for 104 points, 33 of 56 shooting, 58.9%, 11 of 20 from deep 20 rebounds, 25 assists, 5 blocks. It's absolutely insane what those three are able to do on the offensive side. Uh, there is really no matching any, anything that they can put out there. And the Nets is a 9-point favorite on the road, winning cover 141 to 126. But when you talk about how good this offense is, you can see over the last two games, right? And I kind of push back on the narrative that defense doesn't really matter, right? People are like, ah, well, the Nets, they've ruined basketball. They've shown that defense doesn't matter. I've thought that it was a little bit of an over-exaggeration, but the last two games might actually be in that camp. How about this? Over the last two games, both in Boston, the Celtics averaged 130.1 points per 100 possessions in games three and four, an offensive rating of 130.1. And yet, coming out of Boston and with that 3-1 deficit, a negative 4.7 net rating. And you see this from ESPN Stats and Info. Nets the second team in NBA history to have multiple 35-point scores in consecutive games. They joined the 1962 Lakers. Elgin Baylor, Jerry West did it in both games. It's nuts. Now we were essentially just waiting to see what's going to happen between them and Milwaukee. It's going to be a fantastic series and a fantastic test for the Milwaukee Bucks in terms of what they offer from a game perspective defensively with their big three in terms of Chris Middleton, who's actually a plus defender, Drew Holiday, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, This is going to be an awesome test, it's going to be absolutely fantastic to watch. But I I think we've seen now what the Nets are capable of, especially in an off game, like in game three, where you need 50 points from Jason Tatum, and still, they're hanging on by the edge of their pants, trying to get that win against the Brooklyn Nets. So, one more, head back home, close it out in five, uh, and then you move on and get rested and ready to go for the Milwaukee Bucks in the second round, which is arguably going to be probably the best series that we're going to see in the postseason. At least it looks like it on the surface. All right. Not a deep slate today in terms of the playoff games. And, in fact, uh, we get the two, you would think, theoretically, most lopsided matchups, right, as we get the Philadelphia 76ers and the Utah Jazz, the two one seeds are going at it with their respective eight seeds. So Philly opens up as a a 7.5-point favorite, total of 230 or 230.5. We've seen this adjustment now. It's pretty much eight across the board, some eight and a halfs popping up. Uh, But it is interesting and there's an injury question mark in here, right? Russell Westbrook uh, dealing with his own issue. Looks like he is going to play. I would expect that if he can walk, he's going to be out there. Uh, but a, hamper, a hampered Russell Westbrook, what that means. But the 76ers, an 8.5-point favorite today with a total of 230. But by comparison, the Utah Jazz, who closes a 5.5-point favorite in Game 3, are a 5.5-point favorite here in Game 4 against the Memphis Grizzlies. It shows you the respect that the market has for the Memphis Grizzlies or maybe lack thereof for the Utah Jazz. But it is pretty interesting because as these games go on and as these – you know, results get a little bit more lopsided, you do tend to see an adjustment on the line, right? You know, you saw the adjustment for Philly, like we just talked about. You saw the adjustment for Brooklyn, who are now back at home lane 12 against Boston. But the market hasn't really moved in a game like this against the Memphis Grizzlies. And look, Memphis was really solid in their last matchup, and they did everything they possibly could to lose by 10 points. And I think that I've talked about this with these two teams. It's not so much that the gap is massive between them. The Jazz are clearly the better team, What it is is how they play basketball, right? The Memphis Grizzlies, again, from a defensive standpoint, prioritize rim defense, bottom half of the league, actually in the 20s in terms of opponent three-point shooting, right? We won't give you up anything within four feet, but we'll allow you to take those perimeter shots, much like where this staff hails from, Milwaukee. And so when you're taking on a team like the Utah Jazz, who have their own issues defensively, yes, they're one of the best defensive teams, but the Memphis Grizzlies are able to exploit one of the few weaknesses the Jazz have in terms of the mid-range, right? Good mid-range scorers, elite mid-range talent, Can bother the Utah Jazz. Chris Paul did it against them this year. We've seen the Memphis Grizzlies turn out some really solid offensive performances over the last few nights because of their ability to thrive within the mid-range area of the floor. They also have an elite mid-range scorer and a kid like John Morant. But when you're trading threes for twos, eventually results are going to look a little bit more lopsided despite a competitive game, right? For example, we just watched these two teams play the other day. Memphis— Absolutely fantastic in terms of their shooting from an area of the floor that they love. Short mid-range from 4 to 14 feet. In that last game, they took 27% attempts from that area of the floor. They shot 48.3% against Utah. They put up an offensive rating of 114.4, but the Utah Jazz averaged 125 points per 100 possessions. They went 19 of 42 from beyond the arc. You're trading threes for twos. And so that's why I've been kind of surprised to see that the market hasn't really been, I guess, gung-ho on adjusting something like this because there's just like a mathematical edge in favor of the Utah Jazz, where these final scores are going to look a little bit more lopsided, and they're going to be able to win and cover these uh, these games. Because of that. So I think that the Memphis Grizzlies, from a market perception standpoint, are going to get some of the action. So you sit back, you wait, see if this drops back down to five. Right now, five and a half solid across the board. Uh, but if this makes its way toward Utah, or excuse me, Memphis, in range of like five or so, uh, the Jazz would be a play for me tonight against the Memphis Grizzlies. And as far as the other game is concerned, look, you have a lot of things that factor into this, right? One, you've seen the adjustment now, unlike in this Memphis and Utah game, or up to eight in most spots for the Philadelphia 76ers, some spots flashing the eight and a half. We have the Russell Westbrook injury on top of it. Again, he's probably going to play, but how healthy is he? And the other part, as we discussed, one of the things I wrote about right with this series was the fact that you just didn't know where the offense was going to come from for the Washington Wizards. And one of the things that the Philadelphia 76ers have done this year and have done to the Washington Wizards like fantastically has been cutting off the perimeter. Bradley Beal is shooting 16% from three. In this series against the Philadelphia 76ers, Russell Westbrook has been all but eliminated in terms of his ability in transition. And while they're still shooting a very high clip within four feet of the hoop, they're not getting... To the hoop, so cool. You get there about maybe you know, 15 times a game. It's not going to be enough against the Philadelphia 76ers. The Sixers have been great defensively, and you would expect that to continue. The only thing that's working against you here, you're laying quite a bit more than you were in the other games. By the way, from John Ewing over at BetMGM, we do have the splits for these today: 76ers and Wizards. 56% of the tickets, 56% of the tickets, 62% of the handle. If I could read. On the over, total open 231.5, now 229.5. Is that RLM, as they say? Jazz Grizzlies, 74% of the tickets, 87% of the handle on the over. Total open 224.5, now 225.5. And that one a little bit more lopsided with Jazz and Grizzlies in terms of the total there. All right, we come back. We switch gears. National Hockey League, Andy McNeil is going to be with us as we discuss uh, what we saw yesterday. Uh, Really excited, right? Got my TV set up, put the sound on, and then I got to turn the night's game off within like 30 seconds. We'll discuss that and much more with Andy when we come back here on a numbers game. Try One Game Parlay at BetMGM. One Game Parlay is an exciting feature designed to help you make selections within a single game from over 400 bet types. You can make One Game Parlay bets on upcoming MLS and NBA games with more sports coming soon. Log into your BetMGM account, create the parlay of your dreams, and sign up today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600 with bonus code vsin 600 New customer offer, paid and free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. got to be 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia – only excludes michigan disassociated persons please gamble responsibly gambling problem 1-800-522-4700 in colorado nevada and virginia 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in michigan 1-800-GAMBLER in new jersey pennsylvania and west virginia 1-800-BETS-OFF in iowa One hundred nine within indiana tennessee color Texas the red line 800-889-9789 promotional offer not available in nevada all right let's bring in andy mcneil nice enough to give us some time today as we discuss everything in the NHL. Andy, good to talk to you about. So let's start here with uh, the laugher. That we saw yesterday between the Avalanche and the Knights. So I don't want to start with Leonard exactly. I I want to start with the coaching decision going back to the series with the Minnesota Wild. Leonard should have gotten one of those starts after they were up 3-1, right? Like, I didn't really understand what DeBoer was doing. I thought he got a little cocky and was like, yeah, we'll wrap this up in five. I don't really need to worry about this and get these guys well rested. It kind of blew up in his face, no? No.
3: Yeah, I, I don't know if I would say that he should have gotten Leonard into the series or not, but I, I think if his mindset was that he was going to get Marc-Andre Fleury some rest here, then, um, you know, in that series uh, against the Minnesota Wild, uh, when they did have a 3-1 lead, um, you know, probably would have been the time to do so. You could have got two chances uh, to finish off the Wild with Lenner um, before having to go back to Fleury in a game seven if it if it did come down to it like it did anyway. Um, But, you know, I mean, it's just it obviously whoever played goal yesterday wouldn't have fared very well. Uh, Looking back, in hindsight, uh, the Avalanche were, you know, clearly ready for that game and and the Golden Knights weren't. Um, But it's, uh, you know, it's tough. I'm I'm still, you know, of the age where I'm, you know, used to starting goaltenders being, Rode pretty hard throughout the playoffs. They don't get a break. You're not going to see Andre Vasilevsky get a break. I mean, I know he's a lot younger, so it's a different situation. But when you've got a guy that's playing as well as marc Andre Fleury has played uh, this season and, and in these playoffs, it's it's, it's almost in, insane to to move away from him. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know. It's it, it's a tough it's a tough pill to swallow if you're a Vegas Golden Knights fan. In my opinion, you've got a, an MVP goaltender. Mm-hmm. um in in flurry and and it just seemed like uh, a, a terrible spot to feed leonard to the wolves i mean this is a guy who's struggled this season um doesn't seem like the the best situation to put him into uh and you know if this was a year ago or two years ago and leonard was the, you know playing better than flurry at that time and then, then it might be a different story but you know given how these two goaltenders have played this season I really think you've got to to ride the the hot hand. There's no guarantee that the Knights are going to see anybody after Colorado anyway. So just, just stick with Marc-Andre Fleury and, and and figure out the rest afterwards.
4: So I, I I feel like I'm safe in saying that the gap between these two teams is not as great as what we saw yesterday. Uh, It might be a little bit. I'm not
3: comfortable saying that right now, to be honest. I mean, it's, it, it looked like they were from two different leagues. And, yeah. and yeah, the Avs had uh, more rest and whatnot. And, and I do think there will be times where, you know, both teams look like, or, you know, either team looked like the superior team in the series. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, man, I'm, I'm I, you know, if, if there was a game to be, you know, taken aback by, it, it was that one. Uh, things got out of hand pretty quick. And I know it'll be a different story. If Fleury's in goal, uh, you know, they'll fare a little bit. They'll have a little bit better of a chance here. Against this Avalanche team, but but going forward, I'm I'm going to have to see some some even bigger prices to want to get involved here. I mean, there's just so few betting opportunities. I don't need to chew into my ROI, uh, you know, just just for the sake of it. Yeah. Uh, I can pass up on an edge if, if I really don't feel comfortable here.
4: Well, we're talking about now, like dollar seventy-two. Uh, DraftKings is on the high side with Colorado for Game Two, uh, minus two hundred five, and we're talking about a series price that's over five dollars. But uh, last thing on this, and this is what I want to get your opinion on in terms of, of what you saw yesterday, because while the goaltending thing is going to be front and center, you know, I, I think the Knights defensively overall as a team just weren't that impressive.
3: No, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad when when your 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 best defensemen are getting you know, absolutely curved up by some of Colorado's top forwards, uh, Nathan McKinnon, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's going to be tough to stop this team for sure. Uh, they're, they're loaded up front. We talked about it last, last series. Um, the Knights are just far too conservative and that's probably the smart approach, uh, against a team like the avalanche. But, um, I don't know. It's, 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 it's tough. I mean, this, it's, Maybe this Avalanche team is, you know, far better than than any of us uh, really, mm-hmm. really gave them credit for. Even though we all kind of agreed that they were the best team in the NHL this season.
4: All right, let's move on. We got some games to discuss, other series to discuss as well. Uh, let's start with New York and Boston here later today. Uh, puck drop about seven thirty p.m. Or, uh, Eastern Time. Bruins in the range of a dollar eighty-eight to a dollar ninety-five favorite here, and, and pretty much outplayed New York across the board statistically. Uh, what is the glimmer of hope here for the Islanders, if any, as we move to Game Two?
5: Well,
3: the glimmer of hope is that. The, the game of hockey doesn't no. actually do a very good job at rewarding skills. So, you know, even though the Blue, Bruins uh, severely outplayed the Isles throughout much of, of that game, uh, things were still knotted up at two goals apiece, you know, late into the third period before Boston was able to, to you know, separate uh, and score a couple to, you know, put the, the Islanders away um, late in the third. But like I said, it, it's, you know, that, that was a close hockey game in terms of the score. Uh, despite the the fact that there was a huge disparity, uh, a huge difference in in you know skill uh, between the two teams, and and I expect to see Boston dictate the play here. I made the Bruins, um, I believe around seventy. It was seventy nine percent. That was my my pre series uh, projection for for how often they'd win this series, um, and. I'm feeling pretty good about that I was able to grab seven to one on Boston to sweep the series so one down three to go uh you know it's, an un- it's-, it's unlikely they're going to need a lot of luck uh Illy Sorkin is-, is you know he was fantastic in the last game despite the fact that you know he took the loss and-, and allowed quite a few goals but um he'll give the Islanders a chance if they if they stick with him he's been great so far in these playoffs so I mean that's the silver lining is that nobody's ever totally out of it in the NHL
4: well, and then Toronto, montreal pretty good example, right? You know, Toronto looked like they were in pretty <laughs> solid control. It looked like they had been skating for the most part uh, circles around Montreal. And then, sure enough, we saw the market react. Right? We were talking about as low as $1.34 in the open at the beginning of the series. Now we're talking about still Toronto minus one ninety three, as high as 2.15. Uh, what is actually minus 2.20? I'm seeing on my screen. So, what has changed, and how do you approach this now as we have a winner-take-all game seven?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's illogical to do anything. If you're going to make a bet on this game,
4: you should just take the
3: Canadians at plus 180, shop around for the best price you can find, uh, and, and just let the, the chips fall where they may. I mean, otherwise, it's a pass. Um, for me, I've, I've taken a little bit of Montreal here. Uh, it, it, it's more of a recreational play, that's for sure. But, um, you know, based on what I've seen over the course of this series, and, and you know, I've been favoring the Leafs, uh, quite heavily throughout the series, but I mean, here we are in Game Seven. Um, all the pressure is on Toronto. I don't think you can discount that. I mean, this this you know, not only the the fan base is just uh, is just you know anxious and tense, but I'm sure that's the mood around the team uh, as well. If they don't get this done, uh, it, it's going to be you know tough to to answer to. Uh, so it's it's it, you know it's Montreal or nothing for me. They've you know Toronto hasn't controlled that great of a share of the shot attempts or the the, the scoring chances or whatnot uh, in the series to, you know, justify laying any kind of price similar to what we're seeing here. Um, and, you know, they they did dominate two games early, I believe, game, games two and games three. Uh, the Leafs absolutely dominated. But since then, uh, things have been fairly even. Uh, the last game was, was, you know, Toronto really took over in overtime, but uh, outside of that, it's, it's been pretty evenly matched and 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 I don't, like I said, I think it's illogical to do anything but but take the dog here in game seven uh, and hope for absolute chaos in Toronto.
4: Yeah, I, I find it kind of interesting And, like usually we see the market react to results for the most part, right? Like we saw the market kind of correct itself here in the series, but like since the results have come in, we haven't seen it budge off of like this two dollar price we've seen on Toronto for the last what two or three games.
3: Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily. I don't think it was necessarily wrong these last two games. I was, I was up around there, um, but you know, just just looking at at everything and then taking into account that the stake of or what's at stake here tonight, um, the fact that you know there really hasn't been much of a home ice advantage uh, in these playoffs for teams in the North Division with with without fans in the building. Uh, that wasn't the case uh, when twenty five hundred fans uh, attended Game Six. Uh, that definitely made an impact. Uh, I think the, the Canadians got off to a really good start and carried the play uh, early in that game. Uh, it was a raucous, you know, crowd, albeit a small one. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I don't think the Leafs can can manufacture the kind of energy uh, that a home crowd would would man would would give you in a, in a game seven situation. And it's um, you know kind of a perfect environment for a road team to come in and, and focus on executing and playing their game and uh, you know doing the things that that have gotten to them gotten them to where they are and and uh you know empirically just observing the games throughout these these last few days uh montreal has gotten a lot better in things that you know at doing things that don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet uh crisper passing um you know better exits out of their own zone uh you know a stronger forecheck these are things that you only really pick up by watching the games on a day-to-day basis and montreal has been trending in the right direction where Toronto's been been falling apart a little bit in those areas.
4: v you can go up to the uh, the NHL tab, pull it down. Andy McNeil in the NHL is where it's at. And we have plenty of uh, articles up there from Andy himself. Again, v Andy, always good to talk to you, man. Thanks a lot. All right, take care. Good luck. Yep, you got it. Stanley Cup playoffs, round two betting previews, of course, from Andy McNeil. And as usual, check out the work points for it weekly. That is out every single weekend. Weekend Wednesday, should put it that way. I got weekend fresh on the mind, huh? Mike Palm joins us when we come back. One of our contributors and, of course, host of The Nuts on VCN, the Sports Betting Network, to discuss everything. Hey, it was the first weekend, right, on Friday. Opened up entries for the Circa Million, Circa Survivor. We'll discuss what the first weekend was like, what Mike's looking at today, tomorrow, pick his brain on some handicapping strategies as well. It's a numbers game here on v
3: That's com.com slash compatibility.